And finally, for the program, we have some quirky news. And joining us again, hasn't been with us for a little while, but it's good to have him back, Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. Hello, David. You have a story for us. Certainly, David. Camilla Brock um, lives in New York City, and uh, in New York, the police have a bit of a policing problem, and it's uh, some suggestion that it could be related to race. And uh, Camilla Brock's story is um, certainly suggests this. She's, uh, she's a 32-year-old banker. And uh, she was driving her BMW um, in, the, in the street one evening uh, through Harlem, uh, music playing loudly. She was having a good time. She stopped at a set of traffic lights and was sort of bopping and dancing inside the car. A police officer from New York Police Department approached her, said, asked her why she was driving without her hands on the steering wheel. Uh, she said, I'm dancing, I'm at a light. Uh, he asked her to get out of the car. And then, for some reason, she ended up... Um, being released without charge, but ended up in a mental institution when she went back the next day to pick up her car, her BMW, from the impound lot. Um, she was uh, handcuffed, put into an ambulance, taken to the Harlem Hospital, uh, where she was uh, injected with sedatives and uh, forced to take doses of lithium. So the, the, the mental hospital believed that she was um, insane, and they kept her there for eight days waiting for her to deny three things. The first was that she owned a BMW, the second that she was a professional banker, and the third was that President Barack Obama followed her on Twitter. Strangely, all of these things were true. Um, and the, the amazing part of the story, or the, I guess not amazing, but really the key that unlocks all this, is that she is a black woman. And that if mm. this had happened to a white woman owning a BMW, then nothing like this would have been likely to happen. To add an insult to industry, <laughs> insult to injury, David, uh, when she was finally released from the hospital after the eight-day stay, they gave her a $13,000 medical bill. If, if she was a white person, some people in America would say following, uh, being followed by Obama wouldn't happen anyway. <laughs> you know. That's true. N nothing against Obama. I have a great deal of respect for the man. She, she but, wouldn't uh, be a, a Republican. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Put her in jail for being a Democrat. Whole pro profiling thing. A mate of mine, when he was young, was on pea plates and he had a red sports car. He was pulled over time and time again. Uh, we're having, you know, done nothing necessarily wrong. And even, you know, my son driving a Mercedes uh, test car one time was abused. You know, people, you know, just, just totally stereotyped people. Mm. Gail was in a test Jaguar one time and got abused in the, in the shopping centre. It's but you know what? It's the classic thing of making a mistake in a dealership if you just dismiss someone as being too scruffy looking to buy one of your cars. The classic example of that was Janice Joplin. Apparently she walked into, I think it was a, so the story goes, a Aston Martin dealership and said, and hung around a bit looking rather scruffy and what have you. None of the traditional people, uh, uh, salespeople in the dealership approached her, but a young guy did and said, what do you, well, you know, can I help you? She said, I want one of those. He said, oh, it's a bit expensive, you know, 70,000 pounds or what have you. She pulled out a roll of notes and paid for one. Well, she was a drug dealer, was she? <laughs> <laughs> but this whole profiling, initially when I read the story, I wondered whether it was just because they owned a BMW generally. But uh, and the, the notion, of course, that she was black and, and that they made great judgments about it is not good at all, is it? It's a shocker. Now, Brian, we found a story, and which I love, that a dog alone in a pickup truck had to be rescued 
after it caused the truck to go into a lake. Apparently, uh, it was in Ellsworth in the United States, near Branch Lake. The dog got into a bit of a fight. It was a Yorkshire Terrier. The owner put it in the car, and uh, while well, he talked to the other owner of the other dog about what had happened, and the dog apparently let the uh, car roll into the water. Was the dog angry at the owner, or was he trying to run over the other dog, do you think? Cry for right. help, I think, David. Um, Cry for help. Uh, there was this an encounter with another dog. The Yorkshire Terrier is uh, well known for being uh, an insecure dog. Um, I think it may have been pushed over the edge. <laughs> well, the thing, the Yorkshire dog, it's a breed. It was bred in the 19th century to catch rats in clothing mills. But now, of course, it's got a sort of uh, schizophrenic personality because people put bows on them and blow wave their hair. Is it a terrier or is it a toy? Yeah, I that's, think. that's what's happened, David. The deep depression. It's, mm. uh, you know, it's seen the lake and it's, uh, I think it's... Uh, it's either a cry for help, like a staged, uh, staged incident, or it was trying to take its own life. Maybe it made an advance on the other dog, and it was being, uh, you know, had up for harassment. I want to know more about the backstory because uh, the story talks about an encounter. You know, the dog had an encounter with another dog and was then placed in the car. So it may have been more than a fight. It could have been a little bit uncomfortable and humiliating. Uh, could have been some, some, even some backstory between the dogs. Okay. Oh, yeah. Ten foot of water. Uh, it's lucky the dog didn't drown. Yes, yeah, someone dived in and saved the dog, and a towing oh, company okay. later, later pulled the truck out. I wonder if this is really a case of uh, behaviour management for the owner or for the dog. I've got, I've got to the, I've got to admire the, the dog. Sorry. It taught the owner a lesson, an expensive mm. lesson. I've got to admire the dog. If it was a manual, he would have had to put his foot in the clutch. If it was an automatic, he would have had to press the button on the side of the gear lever. Well, he, yes, just... he's, he's bumped it into gear, it says here. I, I guess the he may have bumped it out of gear into neutral. Uh, but mm. you're right. He, um, they're, a, they're a tenacious breed. They're you know, well-known for their intelligence. Insecure, of course, as we said. But, um, but you know, to be able to uh, you know, put the car into gear... Yeah, operate the clutch, wind the window up, that sort of stuff. I, I, I read one review of Terriers saying they are mentally sound and emotionally secure. Well, clearly you've set the case the other way. They're not, show to sl uh, they're not slow to uh, be soft, submissive temperaments. Oh, I think this is a case, David. I think they should let the dog on the couch now to <laughs> really talk this through. <laughs> oh, you know what I blame? I blame electronic handbrakes. Oh, okay. Okay. So if it, it, it was probably an electronic handbrake, which is just a flick of a switch to let it off, whereas if it had have been one where you had to pull a lever, it would have been much harder I blame, to pull it up. And I blame society, David, and uh, the lax standards in um, uh, obedience schools. Clearly a problem, yeah. clearly a problem. Brian, you have a story. David, it's a sweet little story. It comes from Ljubljana in Slovenia. And uh, apparently they have a thing there called the Mini Theater, which is um, a tailgate puppet show. Now, I'm not sure how I'd respond to this, but the idea is if you're stuck in a, a traffic jam, well, the vehicle in front of you may just lift its, uh, its rear hatch and uh, put on a puppet show um, in the back of the vehicle. Now, I'm not sure, I guess, the audience of one or two other people 
um, is uh, is stuck with this puppet show no matter what happens. Uh, I don't know if it's a sort of Punch and Judy arrangement, but um, it's it's there to try and help people through a situation which they're not likely to be very amused uh, being caught in traffic. I just wonder, David, whether, um, you know, if you're already in a tense situation, whether, you know, having to endure a puppet show <laughs> would, would really help. They could... Um you know, show the death scene from Madame Butterfly and you'd feel much better that you're not as, uh, you know, in a difficult a situation. I'd be worried that the, the puppeteers aren't paying attention to the traffic. I'd be shouting out, behind you, behind you, look, the traffic's moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a captive audience, I suppose. There's a comedian that does his act in a car. You actually put three people in the car, he drives around and does his act for For you as passengers in the car. And for you as passengers, yeah. You could slash the seats, I suppose, if you didn't like the show. <laughs> it's a bit hard to get out and leave, Echel, isn't it? <laughs> Pull over. <laughs> Let me out here. You're prepared to walk. <laughs> I was always uh, thought those videos in the middle of the roof for backseat passengers was best seen by the car behind yes, you. Yes, or beside, yeah. Mm, or beside. It's a, it really goes back to the first Mini, which had its dial in the middle of the dash. Yes. Big dial, which, of course, was best seen by the car behind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, there was the thing with Top Gear where they actually had uh, soft porn on one of oh, these yeah. things and watch people, people's exactly. reaction. We did the story last week with Daryl talking about how we should ban porn in, on... Uh, things, particularly if they're going to be in uh, public transport or something. Oh, yes, yeah, or a moving vehicle of some kind. So, Punch and Judy, no, that might lead to road rage. Yes, I think so. Um, what other? You know, you, the other ones that you'd really want to uh, try and take away from the state, a melodrama. You know, you keep saying, oh, he's behind the, he's behind the seats. Yeah. You know, you have the goodies and baddies. Yeah. You Thunderbirds, know. perhaps. Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds could be good. What I'd like to you see is clowns. What could be better than a, you know, a vehicle full of clowns in a traffic jam? They could just be pouring out and in. And... Hmm. There'd, be, there'd be room for those little bicycles. <laughs> That's right. Right, right at around the back. Now, that would be good. I'd, I'd, I'd stop in a traffic jam to see that. Yeah, yeah, and when you pull up a little further, there's a person to wipe your windscreen, but they throw a bucket full of confetti on the car. <laughs> Well, now, Brian, uh, you're a bit of a cyclist. Uh, who would win a race across New York, a bike or a helicopter? You would think a helicopter might do that particularly as the Pope was in town. Now, the on-demand service Blade had a great idea. They had uh, a thing which under Twitter they had the hashtag Pope uh, a Pope Elix. Uh, it was uh, the gridlock on the day he was going to be there. So for $95, you could fly across the... Uh, the city. But uh, some people on bikes said, well, hang on, I'll challenge you. We'll do it by a bike. And guess what? The bike won. Now, the principle of this, of course, is door to door. You don't just measure it from when they hop in the helicopter. The person actually get, lands a helicopter and has to go to where a common place. So it's, it's not as if a helicopter can take you right to your front door. That's the great thing about a bike. Uh, but nonetheless, it took just over 10 minutes and the bike won. And this, the amazing story about this, David, is that, that this is across Manhattan, not, not fully New York. Now, Manhattan is, is only three and a half kilometres wide. 
So it's it's a narrow, tiny strip. It's maybe ten or twelve streets uh, in a grid. Um, so we're talking about you know a helicopter taking off from one side of the island and just flying to the other side, just uh, you know less than five kilometres away. Yet the process of getting strapped in and getting clearance and landing and then walking from the heliport, uh, they chose the sort of cycle stand um, as a place to uh, start and finish the um, the race. Um, at the city bike station at the uh, from the west side helipad um, and in fact the it was um a two block sort of win i think the the woman who rode the helicopter um arrived a couple of minutes later than the cyclist who took 13 minutes to travel mm. across town that's an amazing story well, it was always that thing that when they had those, comp- not competitions, but, you know, motoring groups and what have you would often measure the travel time by public transport or by a car. Usually it always started the public transport at a bus stop or at the train station. Yeah, yeah. But you often have to get there first. Yes. And that's where door-to-door, which the bike can do, mm. as, as can the car quite often, although sometimes, you know, if you park in the city, you might not be able to park right at your destination. But nonetheless, that was always their advantage. There were, of course, those Top Gear ones where they compared travelling across the city. They had nothing to do with reality oh, at all. That's all contrived rubbish. Right, yes. Uh, by the way, do you know the, the possible new name for the Top Gear alternative? Overdrive, David? Uh, no, they're going to. They're possibly going to call it fortune. Gear Gear Knob. Oh no way! Well, someone uh, has suggested that might be it. Gear yeah. Knob. Uh, by the way, the, the thing of riding the bike and not riding the helicopter reminds me of a colleague of mine, Gary O'Callaghan, used to be a radio person in Sydney, very very successful. Uh, he went. He was great with the police. He interacted and you know, um, publicised and, and helped them out in many occasions. So when he went to New York, uh, they gave him a ride in a helicopter there. And occasionally he just kept hearing this ping, ping. And he said, what, what on earth was that? And they said, oh, people shooting us. <laughs> Apparently they put bulletproof things under the neath, underneath the thing because people kept shooting Poor us. Gary O'Callaghan, he was, he was hated in America, wasn't he? <laughs> He was so many attempts yeah. on his life. <laughs> Has never happened to us before. You got in the helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> Gary was, of course, a very lovely, personable, <laughs> not a shock jock in any way. He was uh, very delightful. He's a delightful man. Yeah. All right. So uh, that, that is uh, racing one against the other. Uh, Brian, uh, a, a story of a mission. Well, David, this is... Um, VW has been in the news uh, recently, this incredible story that they, uh, they basically faked their um, uh, emissions uh, testing to, uh, with software. Now, um, this has caused people to talk and think more about how car manufacturers do other testing. And one of the big things is, um, is uh, fuel consumption testing. And... Uh, there's an interesting approach that some of the uh, car companies take or most car companies take to get that fuel efficiency rating, the litres per 100 kilometres uh, that you see uh, advertised as uh, the, your car's performance when you're buying it. Now, first of all, they remove all extra weight from the car, including the stereo, before they do the test. They, they remove sources of drag like side mirrors. They add a special oil to the engine. They f- overfill the tyres with lightweight exotic gases 
they switch the alternator off so that um, the car's just running on its battery uh, and they actually don't even use the petrol that you would use. They replace it with some special uh, racing blend that you can't get access to. They even tape the seams in the panels of the car to reduce the drag and they, uh, they run them in high gear and at very high temperatures. So um, there's very little apparently between what may be uh, your view or your understanding of the fuel consumption performance of your car and the reality. The worst part is that really no one's checking afterwards. So I think uh, it's a bit about time that we had some independent testing um, to, to really check on some of these numbers because fuel consumption is one of the most powerful marketing tools available to a car, a car company. So David, if we, have we lifted the rock on the automobile industry? It's always been said the official figures are, you know, 10% lower at least or typically around that. It varies a bit. But, of course, most of the test is done in a laboratory, but they do have to have a factor for wind resistance and weight. And in Australia, that is, you drive along, I think it's about 100k, and then you take it out of gear and see how far it will coast. And that's a measure for wind resistance and weight. But is that with a car with taped seams and well, no mirrors, etc. It appears as though, I, I don't know any particularly, but it appears as though there might be uh, some, you know, as you say, some fairly heavy fudging going on in that regard. David, who can we trust if, if it's not our uh, plucky Aussie, well, sorry, plucky car makers from other countries? <laughs> um John Oliver did a thing on it the other day, which is, uh, was uh, particularly good. Uh, and, and the thing about it is, um, it, it's not just illegal fudging in one sense. Um, uh, emissions Analytics, the, the company in the UK, which we've talked about, ha have done real life versus official figures. And they claim that Noxes, this is uh, obviously most for diesel engines, are four times higher than, and CO2 is almost a third above uh, what the others will do, which is just enormous. That's a huge what the, the official figures. Oh, and David, um, emissions analytics are even sort of suggesting that it may be that some of that similar trickery using software may be being applied to Im um, fuel consumption uh, outcomes as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, they certainly do it now. Some research but, uh, done by uh, Associated Press, so I'm not sure of the, the full details of it, but they've done some research and they claim that between 16 and 94 deaths in the USA since 2008 might be attributable to the extra pollution that Volkswagens have put out. That is shocking, David. Uh, you know, they claim the cost to society could be as much as you, uh, American 170 over 220 million dollars Australian uh, in, in that regard and of course more and more companies are becoming implicated and they reckon it might even kill off diesel cars altogether you know the principle of Paris is going out of its way to ban diesel cars mm. certainly older diesel cars whereas you look at it now modern diesel cars just aren't, you know, aren't nearly as good as we thought they were Bring on the autonomous vehicle, David. Okay, autonomous electric vehicle yes, would be yes, yeah, be the way to go. Clear conscience. Brian, some serious and not so serious issues. I always appreciate your time. Thank you very much. You're welcome, David. That's Brian Smith, and we were talking some unusual and some more concerning news to do with motoring and transport.